intentionality of sin. Perhaps you've felt the joy of laying back on a hillside or perching on a large, warm rock or settling on to a park bench to watch birds swoop and soar. As I meditate on Romans 7 and 8, that moving picture informs my reading. Paul's soul swoops and soars as he sees himself honestly and trusts Jesus completely. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans is a watershed book. Paul depicts the human condition in a way no one had seen before. He is one of God's chosen communicators of the heavenly message of what the Holy Spirit is doing through Jesus Christ. He doesn't quote Jesus so much as he, Paul lives Jesus' words and ways. He is shaped by inner presence. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This reality is open to every one of us. Paul begins Romans unequivocally. Jesus is human, a descendant of David. Jesus is divine who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus, Son of Man, Son of God, human and divine. It's truth Paul is confident to declare to the world. In addition to clarity about the incarnation, Paul is unreservedly, passionately committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In chapter 116 to 17, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Christianity is not just true. It makes possible the maturity within a beautiful soul. We declare Christ confidently. At the same time, we learn to be good neighbors, good Samaritans to people who think differently. What is Paul communicating by declaring, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus? As we try to understand the statement, we look to Hebrew origins for a continuous thread of explanation. King David was God's beloved, yet there was Bathsheba. David's lament over his disastrous action is recorded in Psalm 32. Throughout his life, David acknowledges sin, even though he knows God already loves him. In psalms that are attributed to him, David speaks of three conditions in which sin shadows him. 
There are instances where he is entirely guilty. Situations in which he is completely blameless. And events that trouble him because he's unsure whether he's at fault or not. What's going on within God's beloved? Like David, Paul swoops down into his innermost beings and finds the pattern of sin there. He identifies sin in himself, though he's, even though he's been a follower of Jesus for a very long time. The thread that explains the human condition is grasped in Eden, woven through Leviticus, and has its full expression in Romans 7 and 8. What is going on? A friend of mine, Annabelle Robinson, told me that Greek mythology, five or six hundred years before the birth of Christ, includes no concept for sin. I found that hard to believe. She was a professor of classics at Regina University for decades. She identified the only hint of a sin concept in Greek mythology in what happens after the Trojan War. King Agamemnon returns home from the war and is met by Queen Clytemnestra, and she kills him on his arrival, along with the woman that he brought with him. She kills him because he sacrificed their daughter on a ship as he sailed to Troy ten years earlier. She kills him. Everyone knows it. A hint of a sin concept whispers in her ear as she prays at Agamemnon's burial ground and changes her prayer slightly. Then her son Orestes comes home from the Trojan War. He discovers his mother has killed his father. He kills her, and so on, and so on and so on. Vendetta. The Greek world was driven, and the Roman world, the world surrounding the birth and life of Jesus, they were driven by vendetta. I will hurt you the way you've hurt me. I will hurt you according to the full extent of my power to do so. Or culturally, we will hurt you. And we will hurt you to the full extent of our power to do so. Ask Ukrainians right now what that's like. The Greeks wiped out entire cities that were in their way, declaring it was just the right thing to do. It was simply the way the world worked. Greeks thought vendetta was justified if it kept to a three-phase cycle. But it's easy to see that math never works out. When the First Testament says an eye for an eye, it sets a limit on vendetta. People who experience bullying on the playground or in the workplace recognize it. Vendetta stands for limitless aggression. Jesus replaced 
vendetta. He said, I tell you, do to others as you would have them do to you. Extending the command to everyone we encounter, not just our own people. Hebrew culture offered something new in human history. Relationality within the sin concept. If anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden, they are guilty. When they become aware of their sin, they must bring an offering and present it before the tent of meeting publicly. In Romans 7, 7, Paul addresses the idea that the law opens us up to sin. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. For I would not have known what sin was except through the law. Vendetta, no law. Hebrew culture, now there's law. I would have, for I would not have known, Paul says, what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. Now, what's Paul describing? Suppose you're a business consultant. You go to a tech company that's three years old, before COVID, of course. The CEO tells you that the work culture is a mess. Employees constantly undermine each other. You carry out your research and observe a pattern you've seen over and over and over. People hate it when others talk about them behind their back. As part of your analysis, you establish one unbreakable rule. Do not talk about people behind their back. Everyone in the company agrees it's an excellent rule. What happens next? Now, employees must figure out what the rule means for them. Initially, it's chaos. Am I talking behind somebody's back right now in what I'm saying? Can I say this? Can I do that? What do I need to do now that I just talked about somebody behind their back? I've been caught. What do I need to do so my character conforms to a rule I value, I agreed to? How do I negotiate this new culture? God knows we must learn what sin is and why it destroys community. Our sin concept is a two-way street. We must learn to communicate with those who sin against us to learn the practices of freedom that go along with coming to know God and to love God. In Matthew 18, Jesus picks up this explanatory thread of the sin concepts and shifts from Israelite culture to the church. Oh, place like this one. Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and show them their fault. Just between the two of you, privately. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every, and this is a quote, Jesus is quoting the law, so every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. 
If they refuse to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector who is still your neighbor. Remember, Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Jesus knows that people must learn to be relational and learn to remain in community willingly by learning what scripture means in Romans 18.12. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Over a lifetime as Jesus' followers, we learn what it all means. But we begin with an assurance. assurance. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus replaces aspects of the Levitical pattern, but the relationality of the sin concept remains in place. Without learning, the relational aspects of sin were thrown back on vendetta. It's recognizing sin, becoming aware of it, learning from it that moves relationships forward toward maturity, toward friendship with God. French philosopher Simone Weil said that the church is the community which God has given us to love. God has willed that it should be difficult but possible to love it. What effort does it take to love one's community? To wheel, it's like the effort that brings the soul to salvation. It's an effort of looking and listening. Those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, the model for looking and listening is the love God shows us. It's not how strong you are but how you look and listen to the people around you to see and hear how your actions affect them that reveals the relationality of the sin concept. It's give and take, the courage to hold people accountable, the relief of acknowledging sin, the freedom to make amends, the joy of feeling forgiven. We look and listen as we dive into our innermost being, certain that we are saved by Jesus Christ. We look and listen to other people as we perceive how our actions impact them. We look and listen as we will learn to rise again from the depths of our own souls, to break through the surface of those deep waters and soar heavenward. The mature motion of our own souls is set forth in Romans 7 and 8. This week, I began to wonder what it was that Paul hated in himself. I thought of one thing I hate. I hate it when people just blame me for something. Then I observed myself. This week, someone blamed me for something. 
I felt angry. Then I stopped. I was shocked to realize that I was the one who set the blaming vendetta vendetta in motion in the first place. Romans 2. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Paul took internally the declaration, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, to reorganize his life through its power to heal, so he could ongoingly realize redemption. Paul was saved. He was baptized. But he learned what salvation is daily. We come into God's presence to be cleansed again, to bring home to our hearts the truth that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What is the relationship between salvation and practices of freedom that teach us how to behave as the heirs of God's salvation? Recall that Jesus conversed with Peter as he offered to wash his feet at the Last Supper. Peter protests, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus replies, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Not just my feet then, my hands, my my head. Jesus replies, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. We come here to get our feet washed. Paul learned to understand what Jesus meant by washing the disciples' feet. He began to perceive the truth of Jesus' words. He wrote in Romans, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another with mutual affection. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with one another. Share with those who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. 
Do not be conceited. Friends, God is not a snob. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends. Leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but be overcome, but overcome evil with good. Paul came to see that through, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Those who have ears to hear, eyes to see. Life in Christ is one of hearing and seeing, not by focusing on other people's sin, but by facing our own frail humanity, by swooping down into the depths of our own soul, but not remaining stuck There, as Paul self-examines, he lifts his head and soars heavenward. Who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. What do we do with the pattern of sin in our own souls? What German social theorist Hannah Arendt called Paul, Apostle Paul's I can'tness principle, which is a depth of self awareness she identifies as entirely new in human history. And French philosopher Paul Ricoeur expressed his gratitude for the truth he recognized in himself that it is easier than one thinks to hate oneself. Grace means forgetting oneself. But if all pride were dead in us, The grace of graces would be to love oneself humbly as one would love any of the suffering members of Jesus Christ. What gets in your way as you realize someone is harming you and you want to speak to them about it? Are you free to dive deeply into your innermost being and face what you find there, yet break the surface of those deep waters and soar with the eagles? Are there obstacles to your deep dive and free flight? 
Is there something you need to hear God say to you? Even so, come, Lord Jesus.